Thank you, and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, we're in the middle of winter, so you thought it was a good time to talk about the weather? (laughs) Not the weather, exactly, Scott. I want to talk about ice and snow. Sounds like weather to me, at least the weather we have here in Indiana. (laughs) Well, we certainly have plenty of ice and snow these days, but those frigid forms of water are not unique to us northerners. Just a couple of weeks ago, a fair bit of snow fell on a large portion of South Carolina and Georgia. I was there, Mm. and you should have heard all the wailing and moaning. I had to keep my chuckling under my breath. (laughs) But anyway, like I said, my goal is not to talk about the weather. Okay, so what is it about ice and snow you do want to talk about? Well, I was talking with someone about climate change. And so, of course, the discussion then became whether or not it was caused by human activity. Well, my opinion, simply put, is the changes in global climate are cyclical, and if human activity is affecting it, the natural homeostatic phenomena of Earth's atmosphere far outweighs whatever the impact of humans may be. Homeostatic phenomena? What does that mean? (laughs) Oh, okay. It's the way complex systems maintain an equilibrium. Like the temperature of your body. If you're cold, muscles contract, producing heat to warm your tissue up. And if you're hot, you perspire and the moisture evaporating off your skin cools you down. Wait, I understand that sweating can cool you down, but what are you talking about? Muscles contract to warm you up? Goosebumps, Scott. Don't you get goosebumps when you're chilled? Yes, but I thought they made you feel cold. (laughs) No, actually, they are helping warm you up. Mm. The tiny muscles attached to your hair follicles are contracting, which produce some heat. You just notice you're cold when you get goosebumps. Wow, that is amazing. And shivering is caused by muscles contracting, too. That's right. So shivering is a way that your body is trying to warm up as well. Exactly. Shivering and sweating are homeostatic phenomena to keep your body temperature at a relative equilibrium. But our bodies are hardly ever at the exact same temperature for any extended period of time. If you were to draw a graph of your precise body temperature over time, the chart would look like a shallow but wavy line. The homeostatic equipment in your body is what is working to keep your temperature fairly stable. In other words, in equilibrium. And the Earth has the same kind of homeostatic devices which stabilize the temperatures over time as well. Water evaporates, absorbing heat. Water condenses, releasing heat. Water condensing is rain or snow. That's right. Now, there are other dynamics involved, like air pressure and humidity. But all I'm trying to explain is the Earth's atmosphere. In fact, the whole biosphere is a giant homeostatic system. And as creationists... We credit the Creator with the wisdom and genius to design the Earth, and in particular, the Earth's atmosphere in such a way, so it would be stable enough to support life. So, periods of global warming and cooling are simply a part of the natural cycle of temperatures on the Earth. And obviously, Dr. Scripture, you're not just talking about seasonal cycles, you know, summer to winter. You're talking about changes occurring over many years. Yes, And we have extensive records over centuries that show the average annual temperature of Earth gradually rising and falling. Global warming and global cooling are natural homeostatic phenomena. 
But I still haven't said why I wanted to talk about ice and snow. Oh, yeah. I forgot that was our original topic. Mm -hmm. So you were discussing climate change, which used to be called global warming. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And somehow ice and snow came up. Yes. And we began talking about ice and snow because the question of what caused the ice age then came up. And were there many ice ages, as many scientists claim, or was there just one major ice age, like many creation scientists claim? And when, if there was just one, did it happen? Well, I think most creationists say it happened after the global flood. Is that correct? That's right. And that would have taken place only a few thousand years ago, not over a hundred thousand years ago. But if you read what those who believe the Earth is billions of years old propose, they say the last ice age started over a hundred thousand years ago and ended about 25,000 years ago. So it lasted 75,000 years? Well, that's what evolutionists claim. So as usual, Whenever dating is involved, the time frame is always extremely extended. Those time frames being based on the interpretations of the data that use assumptions that de facto result in vast spans of time. Geological layers, radiometric dating, even ice core measurements. Well, there are plenty of reasons to reject many of those assumptions deep time adherents use in their measurements. But that, again, is not what I want to do right now, is talk about assumptions. What I want to do is finally talk about ice and snow. So, the Ice Age. It's obviously characterized by ice and snow. And if, in fact, the Ice Age occurred after the flood, just a few thousand years ago, you know, you might think there'd be some kind of reference to it in the Bible. You mean in the chapters after the flood, but before Abraham. Yes, that's where we'd expect to find something. But all we have after Genesis chapter 9, which records the events immediately after the flood, are the genealogies of chapter 10 and the account of God confusing human language at the Tower of Babel, forcing man to spread out over the earth. There is no mention of an ice age on the earth in those chapters. Hmm. You know, here's something I've never thought about before. Could massive ice fields and glaciers extending far south from the North Pole toward the equator have been part of the reason people did not spread out right away? Hmm, that's an interesting thought. But remember, there were simply not that many people on Earth right after the flood. It would have taken many generations to get to the point that people would have needed to migrate at least very far away. But as the account of Genesis 11 tells us, when man should have been spreading out, they chose to defy God and attempt to build a name for themselves by building that tower to heaven. Even if it would have been difficult to migrate very far north, they could have, they should have spread out east and west, but they refused. So after the flood in Genesis chapter 9 and the genealogies of Genesis chapter 10 and the account of the Tower of Babel in chapter 11, the narrative tells us very little about what was going on. It simply goes directly to the ancestry of Abram, and then God calls him to go to the land of Canaan. There are no references to what the earth was like during the generations of man on earth leading up to Abram. However, that does not mean that there still aren't some clues. Oh, so what do you mean? I mean references to ice and snow. Mm. That is biblical references to ice and snow. It's something I've noticed when reading the book of Job. 
Scott, you've heard me talk about how old the book of Job is, right? Yes, it is likely the oldest book in the Bible. Mm -hmm. That is, in its present form, it was written before the books of Moses. Most likely. Even though Genesis obviously describes events which took place long before Job even lived. Right. Job lived after the flood, but perhaps closer to the flood than any other person presented in any detail in the Bible, even living before Abram. And one of the things that indicate that Job probably lived close to the flood is his familiarity with dinosaurs still being around. Mm -hmm. Behemoth and Leviathan, both of which you've referenced many times in our program. Mm -hmm. Behemoth, whatever kind of dinosaur it was, must have been on the ark and survived for some period of time before its kind went extinct. That's an excellent point, Scott. And something else we find in the book of Job is several references to ice and snow. Something people may not be aware of is the Bible mentions ice and snow very little. The words ice or snow only occur in 22 verses in the entire Old Testament. And of those, seven are using the word snow simply as a description of purity. When they say something is white as snow. Exactly. So the reference isn't really about snow, but just its color. So out of the 15 references to snow or ice that are in the rest of the verses that mention it, half of them are in Job. In other words, Job talks about ice and snow as much as all the rest of the Old Testament combined. And that fact makes me think it may be because in Job's day, there was a much greater awareness of the existence of snow and ice compared to later in history when the ice cap had receded much further north. So, Dr. Scripture, would you call that a cold, hard fact? Uh, oh, <laughs> no, I would not. In fact, <laughs> seriously, this is some speculation, but you can't forget or ignore how much ice and snow is talked about in Job compared to the rest of the Bible. So let's read these somewhat unique references to ice and snow found in Job. Scott, I'll have you start. Read Job chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. My brothers have acted deceitfully like a wadi, like the torrents of wadis which vanish, which are turbid because of ice, and into which the snow melts. So this is talking about there being enough snow to melt and fill up dry bed creeks. So that's a lot of snow. Now listen to Job 9, verse 30. If I should wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet thou wouldst plunge me into the pit. Now read Job 24, 19. Drought and heat consume the snow waters. So does Sheol, those who have sinned. Then in Job chapter 37, it says, For to the snow he says, and that's Job talking about what God says, For to the snow he says, fall on the earth, and to the downpour and the rain, be strong. Then in chapter 37, verses 9 and 10, go ahead and read those, Scott. Out of the south comes the storm, and out of the north, the cold. From the breath of God, ice is made, and the expanse of the waters is frozen. Now, we can't be certain what the expanse of the waters is there, but this sounds to me like a lot of ice, something that you'd find, you know, in glaciers, something during the Ice Age when large expanses were frozen. Do we know whether that's the same term expanse that was in the beginning of Genesis? Uh, I think it would be, yeah. The firmament in the King James, the rachia is the Hebrew ah. word. And what that simply means is it's a big, broad, spread out area. 
So those verses were all Job speaking, describing ice and snow. Now we come to a portion in God's word where the Lord mentions the ice and snow. And this is when he speaks to Job about his work in creation, starting in Job chapter 38. Job 38:22 says, Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? And then in Job 38, verses 29 and 30, God says, From whose womb has come the ice? And the frost of heaven, who has given it birth? Water becomes hard like stone, and the surface of the deep is imprisoned. So these are unique references to the cold and ice in the book of Job, which don't occur anywhere else in the Bible. And that makes sense, since in Canaan and in the land where the Israelites live, it's a Mediterranean climate, very moderate. There's almost no snow or ice. But it's apparent that Job had a good understanding of ice and snow, even though he lived in the land of Uz, a region thought to be around the Jordan River. In his day, perhaps glaciers were not very far away. It's another reason to recognize the continuity of the biblical record of history, from the creation account to the global flood to the description of the events that took place in the days of the earliest patriarchs. Out of the South, comes the storm, and out of the north, the cold. From the breath of God, ice is made, and the expanse of the waters is frozen. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.